the darkness between us. Dark Stories from the Uncanny Collective. Episode 14, The Sin Eater, by Steve Fitzgerald. The travellers came across the body just before sunset on their third day of walking. The woods, which up until that point had been dense and difficult to navigate, opened abruptly into a small clearing. The waning sun shone down from above in this area absent of foliage and exposed a clutter of debris and hard soil. In the centre of the clearing sat a figure, seated on a kind of makeshift throne. The travellers moved cautiously forward, at first believing that it was the corpse of a person sitting amongst the mess, but soon realising their mistake. Resting on the dull, stone throne sat the desiccated body of something that was not human. All but skeletal, save for a few strands of dried, thin, paper-white skin that shifted a little in the gentle wind. It was naked, save for a frayed, dirt-covered cloak which lay between the body and the seat. Up until the neck, the two men could have been forgiven for thinking this was once a human being, save for the hands, which finished in long, blackened claws. The skull was something else entirely, somewhere between beast and reptile. Its eye sockets were huge, and still contained some of the matter from the organs which had once sat there. The nose had completely rotten away, or had been eaten by birds. Most striking and disturbing of all was the mouth. Obscenely wide and gaping, it was almost toothless, save for two huge fangs, cracked and yellowed with age. Strangely, both of these canines had been hooked separately with chains that were nailed to the floor behind the creature, forcing its mouth to be kept widely open. The tallest of the two men moved slowly towards the body, gesturing to his partner to stay back, although it made little sense to the shorter man to hold back. What danger could there possibly be? Still, neither of them spoke a word. It seemed wrong to make a sound here. Even the quiet rustling of the dying wind felt like a transgression. As the taller man got closer to the dead thing, he felt something soft crouched under his boot. He looked down and lifted his foot to see that he had stood on a bunch of flowers, once bright and brilliant shades of red and yellow. They were now old and fragile, not much different from the scraps of skin left on the body before him. The flowers were also not the only items which were left scattered and alien in the area. He noticed directly around the creature were paper bags of what appeared to be boiled sweets, rolled cigarettes, and a jar of yellow liquid, whose contents could be easily guessed. While nothing in this place looked new, not all of it looked particularly old, either. And the man had to push away thoughts of who had left these things here, why they had done it, and also, how recently. The shorter man watched intently as his partner reached the body and knelt down to take a closer look. For a moment, he was reminded of the church services he was forced to attend as a child, of lines of adults kneeling down before a priest in robes, each of them eating and drinking the body and blood of a dead god. 
The image was a wholly unpleasant one, and he jolted back to reality. His partner had now left the spectacle in front of them, and was making his way back to him. Together they looked up to the sky, and felt the same crushing realisation. This would be where they must pitch their tent for the night. There had been nowhere else on the path remotely suitable for sleeping, and their destination lay many days ahead of them. The sun, which mere minutes ago had been casting a deep orange glow across the sky, was now turning to a purple haze, which signified the coming of night. Not to mention that past the remains, on to the other side of the path and back into the trees, it would be even darker and they couldn't risk it. They had made good progress all day and now was the time to stop. Their pursuers would not come any closer to them, and tomorrow they would carry on as soon as they were able. They quickly and with weary familiarity made their camp for the night. There was plenty of wood for a fire, and their unwanted, unliving companion made for grim company. They began to cook a meal, and, as people do, explain away the tableau before them as something less sinister. This is from long ago. Whoever did this is far from here. The thing on the throne is not what it appears. We are safe. After eating, they retired into the small, shabby tent, along with everything they had hastily collected when they knew they had to leave their home. Together they lay in the darkness, grasping each other's hands tightly, not just for comfort, but out of love. They kissed once, deeply, meaningfully, and then they tried to fall asleep. Meanwhile, the thing outside sat cold and dead, staring at them from empty sockets. Deep in the night, the shorter man awoke suddenly. There had been no noise, no sudden movement or flash of light, but still he sat bolt upright, his breathing heavy, when he put his hand to his forehead it came away soaked with sweat. Anxiety pressed itself into his torso, and his chest felt tight. He reached out for his partner's hand and felt only space. Panic-stricken, he fumbled in the darkness for a match. Finding one, he struck it and found the tent empty. He tried to call out but found that he was unable. The sound emerging from his vocal cords all but evaporated before it had left his mouth. Outside... He could hear a murmuring, as though there were many people speaking in hushed voices. He sat there in the darkness, his breathing shallow, his body trembling. He tried to make out what some of the voices were saying, but he was unable. He reached into his bag and pulled out his weapon, a piece of flint tied to a trimmed branch. Holding it before him and putting his fears aside for concern of the man he loved, he crawled out of the tent. Beyond the thin lining of the tent, the sound of the voices magnified tenfold. He stood up to find that a number of torches had been lit in the clearing, and a small crowd had gathered around the thing on the throne. All but one of them lay prostrate before it, unclothed, and the lone standee, also naked, stood directly in front of the now living monstrosity on the throne. However it may have looked earlier that day, it was now very much alive, its flesh a dull, slimy grey like off-meat, its body covered sporadically with coarse, black hair, and its eyes now deep red and feline. 
Its mouth remained held open by the chains, and it writhed spasmodically against the stone seat. All around, the voices of those present rose in a wordless chant, and almost against his will the traveller stood up and made his way closer to this terrible scene. The member of the crowd standing turned away from the thing on the throne and raised his hands in the air. He was in his later years. His long hair lay limply and sparsely across his face. He was also tremendously skinny, and in the light of the flames he looked to have wounds across his chest and torso from which leaked his blood, shining atari black in the torchlight. All at once was there silence. The voices ceased, and the only sound came from the monster's guttural gasps as it fought against its restraints. The old man spoke. Have I sinned? And the crowd responded. Yes, yes brother. brother. What is my crime? Violence towards the innocent? Yes. yes. Cruelty to the blameless? Yes. Yes. Lechery towards the young? Yes. yes. And am I unclean? Yes. yes. Am I unworthy? Yes. yes. Shall I be saved? Yes. yes. How? The, the vessel. vessel. The, the vessel. vessel. On those words, those on the floor began to wriggle and gyrate, pressing their bodies into the earth, screaming their words into the soil. The old man turned back towards the captive on the throne and climbed onto its waist. His knees on the monster's thighs, his head directly above its wide, empty jaws. He opened his mouth and began to retch, his whole body racked by a series of deep, guttural coughs and moans. The small man stood transfixed, unable to look away, both revolted and captivated by the sight in front of him. From the mouth of the older man, something began to wriggle free. Long and glistening like an enormous slug, it first raised up and then began to lower itself into the mouth of the imprisoned beast. As the smaller man looked on in horror, the thing on the throne unexpectedly angled its eyes towards him and their gazes met. Something pulled deep inside him and he felt his bladder release down his leg. He knew then instinctively that the thing on the throne was not just a captive, but needed his help. That however terrible and unsightly this creature was, it was nothing compared to the mob that continued to rapture at its feet. As if sensing this, the chained prisoner broke their connection and continued to fight vainly back against the figure that even still vomited his black foulness into its jaw. Taking his blade into one fist, the smaller man abandoned all sense of restraint and leapt towards the two figures. Lifting his fist high, he plunged the makeshift knife down between the shoulder blades of the naked man. The reaction came instantly. Blood pumped without delay from the wound and the man arched backwards. The thing hanging from his gullet writhed furiously, and he lost his balance. Falling back from the throne and taking the small man to the floor with him, they crashed down one on top of the other. The small man desperately tried to push the other from him, but he seemed to weigh much more than expected. With horror, he realized the slimy alien continued to be attached to both the thing on the throne and the mouth of the stabbed man. It pulsed and shed long strands of mucus which slopped down to the floor. Using everything he could muster, the small man wrestled to his feet and again found himself devoid of the fear which had some consumed him earlier. He grasped at what remained of the pulsating monstrosity and pulled it from the mouth of the beast. It struck the floor with a sickening thud, and without delay he set at it with his blade, 
creating huge tears in its body. It made no noise, but shuddered and flailed helplessly. He felt his knife bend and break as parts of it became stuck in the grotesque mollusk. He now fell to his knees, pushing its fingers into its soft flesh, pulling it apart with his hands. Later on, much later, he would wonder how and why he reacted this way. Whether he had felt such sympathy for the creature that he would protect at any cost, or maybe the mere sight of something so close to an abomination had driven him to a temporary insanity. He would also wonder if it even mattered. What he later gained had been worth the extremity, whatever the reason. As the slug's movement slowed and its pulsing ceased, he pulled himself up, and, ignoring the mob which now wailed and seemed incapable of rising and coming to the aid of their fallen brother, he approached the beast and reached out towards the chains which kept it tethered. There, in front of a being he knew nothing of, but felt for some preternatural reason him to be its protector, he stared down into the mouth and became frozen in motion, past its teeth and jaws and tissue and throat. He could hear them down there. All the other bloated, corpulent, slithering shapes writhing against each other down there in the dark. The sins of a community. That's what it was used for. Its purpose. Lifetimes of cruelty. Generations of ugliness. Trapped here forever. And there would always be more room. There was only one solution. One release that he could give the prisoner before him. Once again, looking into its eyes and seeing understanding, knowing the answer. He rose his knife one final time into the air. The Sin Eater took one last look at the sky, one last breath into its tortured body, and closed its eyes as the blade came down between them. <laughs> what are you doing? The taller man called from the tent. It was morning, and he had awoken to find his fellow traveller absent. He climbed out of the tent and saw the smaller man was standing before the dead, whatever it was, from the day before, his blade planted firmly in its skull. Concerned, he made his way towards the other, but the small man raised his hand. I'll be over in a minute. I'm starving. Start some food, will you? Still bemused. The tall man went back into the tent to retrieve their supplies and began cooking. The smaller man was unsure what had just happened. Moments ago he had been amidst the pandemonium of the event, and now he stood here again before the monster on the throne. No, the prisoner. He went to retrieve his knife, but then thought better of it. What if removing it brought it back to life once they were gone? And the ancestors, yes, that's what they must be, the ancestors of the people who used this poor creature found a way to begin their practice again. He knew that he had saved it. Whether it was last night or a hundred years ago felt immaterial. He was about to turn away when he noticed something in one of the eye sockets. The matter which yesterday had been dried and dead seemed to have bloomed into a small red stone. 
He hesitantly reached out and touched it to discover it was incredibly soft, like silk. It felt warm and pleasant to touch. Almost absent-mindedly, he picked it from the socket and, keeping it a secret from his partner, put it into his pocket and made his way towards the now roaring campfire. The two men would find their way to their destination, and those that followed them would eventually abandon their search. They would remain strong. And one night, many years later, the small man would reveal a box he had always kept secret from his love. And, after explaining what had happened all those years ago, he would open the box and show the tall man how the little red stone had grown. It was now larger in size, roughly five inches in diameter, but there inside its translucent skin was the embryo of something that looked human, but they both knew was not. They both knew what it would become, and both swore to protect it from a similar fate to its parent. But human nature is weak. And as long as there are those who focus on a spirituality of redemption, they would look for ways to absolve themselves of sin. Or perhaps to pass it on to another. In that way, the Sin Eater would never be safe. The Darkness Between Us was created by the Uncanny Collective. The Sin Eater was written by Steve Fitzgerald and starred Connor Meddings, Paul Linghorn and Sarah Lynham. Theme music by Nick Samuel. Audio recorded, mixed and produced by Connor Allen and Sarah Lynham. Uncanny Collective are Connor Allen, Steve Fitzgerald, Paul Linghorn and Sarah Lynham. Please visit uncannycollective.co.uk for information about upcoming shows and events. And to find us on social media, follow the links in the description below.